to Wandering Through the Word, and this is your host, Noah. I am back. I was in Japan for about three weeks on a mission trip, uh, and then I was recovering. Where are you? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I was in Tokyo for about two weeks, and then I went down to Osaka for one week. Uh, We did some camp ministry in Tokyo, uh, did some uh, like uh, groundskeeping, as well as did an English Bible camp with some of the kids, and then we did one week of VBS in Osaka, and it was a really crazy three weeks. It was a really fast three weeks, uh, and I'm just so glad to be back now and to share some of those experiences with you guys. By the way, I didn't get to introduce myself. The person <laughs> interrupting Pastor Noah is Pastor Dan. <laughs> uh, before we go into Romans, um, what is, I guess, like, what's one lesson you learned in uh, the whole mission trip? Oh, man, uh, it's so hard to condense three weeks into one lesson. Uh, but if I would have to choose one thing, uh, I would say uh, it, trusting God. I know that's such a simple lesson and it's so basic, but really at the end of the podcast, anyway, (laughs) really, really always learning to trust God more. Uh, The theme verse for our VBS was Ephesians 3.20, the first part, which says, Glory to God, uh, who is able to do far beyond all we could ask or imagine. And that's so true. I mean, there were so many moments where um, I felt unprepared or unqualified to do certain stuff, but... Um, trusting God because God was able to do more than I was able to do, more than I was able to even ask. God was truly, truly, uh, he did so much on this trip. It's crazy to think about uh, so much more than we could ever ask him. And uh, God is just humbling me time after time again and uh, telling me to trust him, that he works stronger in our weaknesses than we work even in our strength and it's so crazy it's so crazy uh just learning to trust god every moment of every day amen and uh one last question does this mean that you're gonna do today's podcast in japanese uh watashi no namai wa noah des okay let's go into romans (laughs) all right all right we'll start with uh today we're picking up with romans uh chapter four uh pastor david and pastor edward and pastor dan did a fantastic job of covering the past two chapters of romans and by the way i believe there is a new intro music i heard some uh comments that maybe the last one sounded maybe more like something you would hear on an elevator (laughs) oh yeah the your piano music (laughs) uh we'll try we'll we'll stick with this new one uh you can thank pastor david for that uh but yeah we are in romans chapter four uh, we're going to read the whole thing, but we'll break it up into a few parts. Uh, yeah, and before we read it, just to let you know, I know when you hear Romans 4, it might be a little bit confusing because uh, if you don't really know what Paul's trying to do, it might kind of feel like, oh man, it's kind of breaking up the hype that started Romans 3. It's about to get hype again in Romans 5. And you might wonder, why is this here? But it's going to make sense once we start breaking it down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, we are picking up with Romans chapter 4. Uh, We're going to break this into a few parts. I'll just read the first part for us. Romans chapter 4. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, 
Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Uh, That's verse 8. So we'll just pause right here because uh, there's a natural breaking point right here. Uh, But we're picking up Romans chapter 4. It's been a few weeks. Uh, Let's just get a quick recap of what happened in chapter 3. What is Paul talking about in his argument here? Well, we said like, you know, the theme of Romans, we talked about the gospel, the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And we also talked about the righteous shall live by faith. And Romans 3 was kind of like the the big reveal. It shows everything that we're building up for. It introduces the gospel and it introduces the mechanic of the gospel, which is righteousness by faith. And now you got to imagine like if Paul is talking about this all of a sudden, like, People are going to be kind of caught off guard and they're like, mm-hmm. well, where is this? This doesn't sound like what we believe because the Old Testament, um, even though God had different ideas of how he wanted it to be accepted, many people just kind of tend to even today simplify it as just a bunch of laws. And so when you look at the bunch of laws and you look at Paul's gospel, they're like, wait, these don't seem to be the same thing. And so there's some confusion here. And now in Romans 4, what Paul is going to do is Paul is going to show how it's always been this way. The gospel mechanic of righteousness by faith has always been the theme uh, all throughout the Bible. And that's what we're seeing today in this entire chapter. But Paul's going to start it very powerfully in the first eight verses of Romans. So that's kind of where we are and why this section even exists in Romans. All right. Thank you for that summary. Uh, let's talk about uh, this little bit of the passage that we read. Uh, what do you see in this passage? Well, we see two very, very, very famous people with very, very, very uh, popular names, Abraham and David. And <laughs> you probably have friends named Abraham and David. You probably know people named Dave, Abraham and David. Um, and the most important David at WJBC's, <laughs> David Bowie. And so... Uh, <laughs> You know, these are very popular names, and they are the, the center, the foundation of the Jewish faith. And so what Paul's going to try to do is Paul's going to try to show that not only is faith, uh, righteousness by faith like the main part of the gospel, it's always been part of our lives. It's already always been part of their theology. And he's going to choose Abraham and David specifically, intentionally, uh, to make his point. Yeah, so the big question here is, why Abraham and David? Why does Paul throw back to these two heroes of the faith? Um, I guess we could do this in, I'm just going to split this into two parts. I'm going to try to make both very applicable. There's a very, very weird phrase here that shows how powerful the gospel is, and it's in verse 5. It says, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. And we talked about the second part of that, faith as righteousness. Uh, But look at the phrase that comes before, him who justifies the ungodly. And anyone who justifies the ungodly is probably wicked. But the twist is that this is God who justifies the ungodly. Well, how can God justify the ungodly? And that's what we saw at the end of chapter 3. It's because Jesus Christ was given as a propitiation for our sins. And so what it shows is that all these people in the Bible from the Old Testament, including now Abraham and David, who we think are very godly, are actually ungodly, but they were justified by God's grace. And the way that they were justified, even though they were ungodly, was not because of their works. And so Paul chooses Abraham and uh, David, not only because they're like heroes of the faith, but also because 
they're very big sinners. <laughs> like they have some very ungodly moments. And so someone like Abraham being justified, that's a big deal because he had some ungodly moments. And someone like David, look at what David says in verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count as sin. And what you see there is David doesn't say blessed are those who never sin, hmm. but as those who are forgiven. And so what we see is this mechanic of um, God justifying the ungodly through grace, not by works. Mm. So Abraham and David are like the perfect examples to show not only because they're heroes of the old faith, but they're sinners in the old faith as well. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, those are some really good points. I think particularly um, how the fact that only God can count people as righteous uh, and the fact that Abraham and David were not righteous people by nature. They were very sinful people, very unrighteous people. The only way they could be counted as righteous is if God was to just count them as righteous. And the way that God chooses to do it is not that we can work for it, but uh, that it's simply God who will choose to count us as righteous uh, by the mechanic of faith, as we'll see later. Yeah, I think it, it does give us hope too. I mean, like, you know, when we read something like this, like we naturally think, you know, Abraham and David, well, we tend to think the heroes of the faith were some larger than life figure, but they were sinners and they were ungodly and they were justified by God's grace. And so practically speaking, in, in our daily lives, it gives us a lot of hope. Uh, and I think uh, another thing that's actually kind of cool too, and this is maybe a, a little bit nerdy, so you might love this, Noah, <laughs> <All> but... Uh, <laughs> I do believe this is uh, referring back to, I think, Genesis 15. Genesis oh, 15. Yeah. That's what Paul is quoting, uh, that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Yeah. And the reason why that's so cool is because I I think, technically speaking, um, once again, we try to have like one technical thing each time. <laughs> um, I think this is the first time that the word, uh, this idea of believing is really used in the Bible in linked with righteousness oh. in, back in oh. Genesis 15. Oh. And it's linked with Abraham's covenant. So it's kind of showing it's always been this way, that the mechanic of salvation has always been faith counted as righteousness. Like it's never been the way that the other people were saying, where it's the laws and stuff like that. It's actually always been this way since the beginning. And the reason why it's extra significant is because it's Abraham. Because uh, if you um, come out to our church, you guys remember that in Genesis, we said that the big switch in Genesis starts from Genesis 1 through 11. 11 is Tower of Babel. After that, it switches from Genesis 12 and on because 12 is the introduction of Abraham. And 1 through 11, it has this universal like scope and talks about the fall and our inability to make ourselves better. And then 12, it shows the solution. The solution is not our works, but God's promise. But what we see here is that the center of God's promise has always been faith counted as righteousness, believing for righteousness. That's why what Paul's actually really smart. <laughs> Very smart guy. <laughs> I don't know how he how he figured that out. Like he just read it and he's like, Oh my gosh, it's always been in here. It's actually been in the beginning. <laughs> yeah, that that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in a sense, it kind of, it's almost poetic where it kind of reverses Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, Abrahamic covenant passages. They really kind of reverse the fall because in Adam and Eve, like, I mean, like, it's not like 
eating a fruit is necessarily the worst thing in the world. It's not just the action, but it was the heart. They didn't believe God. And since they were not believing God, we felt. And then the solution is believing God. Wow. Yeah. God's plan is always best plan. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned how it's always been this way since the beginning. Uh, my question is, well, how do people get it so mixed up? Yeah, so I mean, if you want that, you could read the next few verses, I think in verse 9 through 12, and it kind of gives us an idea. We're not going to go deep into it, but it does give us an idea of how people could get it wrong. Okay, Oh, uh, yeah, then let's just read the next section, verses 9 through 12. Picking up our Bibles again, verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteous would be counted to them as so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Verses 9 through 12. Um, What is so significant then about Abraham being counted as righteous before he was circumcised? Yeah, so I mean, like when you read a passage like this, especially if you're maybe you're driving around or you're just listening in and you might feel like, oh, this is so foreign to us, this idea of a circumcision as some sort of spiritual standing. And um, I, it makes sense that it's foreign to us. For us, it's more uh, physical, medical, just like it's it's nothing spiritual, the idea of circumcision. Uh, but back then it was. So I guess to make it kind of practical to us, um, there are many things that uh, people today um, would consider that's physical, but people would consider possibly of spiritual standing. Mm. Now, it might have some spiritual standing, but they take it beyond the means of what it was meant to be. Now, let me give some examples to let you know what I'm talking about. Uh, usually Christians have, or many Christians have certain things in their mind, certain categories that they feel like, well, if you do this, then you're really probably taking your faith seriously. And if you don't do this, well, you're probably really not really a believer. You just kind of call or you might call yourself that or whatever. It might be, I don't know, something like smoking or cussing or drinking or whatever. And the Bible obviously gives us a lot of uh, principles in regards to these things. And it has ways that it wants to live in regards to these things. Uh, but many times um, we take these things and we make it an, a standard that's too high. As if this alone is a true litmus test, whether someone really believes or not. And so it kind of reminds us that we all have things where it's like a physical thing, but we make it into like a spiritual standing. Like whether you, if you have the spiritual physical thing or not, whether you do it or not, like, and we make it very like, this is whether you are really spiritual or not. <laughs> and uh, I think our hearts naturally do this. Like our hearts naturally, I'm not sure why, but we're very uncomfortable with the idea of grace. And we always need a way to quantify things like how much grace should i get or should i get more grace than this other person or am i and so we we tend to make anything that's very gracious into a law and now 
it's like that, but more extreme now. Because circumcision back then in the Old Testament was something that God required to show that you're part of the covenant. And so you could see why people would cling to this even more to show your spiritual standing. Are you really a child of God? Are you really the people of God? But what Paul is just simply showing here, now that's a long explanation. I'm just trying to show why it matters. The result is actually quite simple. Paul's just trying to show, look, this is why um, it doesn't matter anymore. Because Abraham was counted righteous before he was circumcised. Ultimately, what that means is that the Jews were accepted by God the same way the Gentiles are accepted by God. They were accepted by God by faith before circumcision, before the law, before works. And so it kind of shows there's no dividing line between the Jews and the Gentiles. We are all accepted by God the same way. And that's kind of like what Paul's trying to push into this um, through the section right here. After talking about Abraham and David were not only justified by faith, they're justified the same way the Gentiles are. So it's kind of crushing this old legalism and this old way of religion. And it's kind of enthroning and showing that the gospel is king over all these things. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I mean, all throughout the New Testament, all a lot of Paul's letters, he's uh, fighting against these people who say that circumcision is the only way to really follow God and follow God's laws. And here, like, even the father of the Jewish faith was righteous, counted as righteous before he was circumcised, meaning his circumcision had no part in making him righteous. It's funny because like you see some of the people and they're wrong, but in the New Testament and they go around almost acting like, oh yes, Jesus saved you so that now you can follow the law. It's like, (laughs) this is the point. (laughs) Completely misses the point. Uh, So that's a really good explanation about uh, why uh, Paul just goes into this whole talk about circumcision here. Um, what is the significance for our lives? Uh, yeah, kind of like we were saying before, like there is no other way. There's no other way to be made right with God. You see, we like we said earlier, there are all these, we often look almost at physical things to be our mediator between us and God. For example, now, I hope you guys understand, like I'm not like condoning or allowing sin, but there are people who might think, because I don't cuss, God must love me more. Because I don't partake in this, God must love me more. And they look at their physical things that they might have have done or accomplished or might um, have, like let's say, for example, if someone just fasts, like they're not eating and they're fasting away and they might look at their physical state as almost like a mediator between them and God, like God must love me because I look at my emaciated body. Um, but what we see here is that there's nothing physical, there's nothing legal, there's nothing that could mediate between us and God except Jesus Christ. And that's not only in terms of today, like with the variety of different people, all of us are justified by the same Christ alone, but it also goes almost like backwards in time. Abraham and David, even back then, they could only be justified by faith, by God's grace. There has never been something that could make us right before God other than uh, God's grace through faith. Yeah, really good stuff there. I think that's really the main point of this section, uh, how it's not our works that count us as righteous, because we see even with Abraham, the works that he did didn't make him any more righteous or any more loved by God. Uh, Before we move into the next section, is there anything else you want to say about verses 9 through 12? Oh, yeah. 
Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Let's cheat a little bit. Um, <laughs> we'll get the idea of 9 through 12, but let's mix it. Let's take it into another book, uh, Colossians. And you know how we just talked about circumcision and all these different like physical mediators before God? Like, What do you think are some of the things that people might look at today to be their mediator before God that makes them feel like, if I do X, mm. Y, and Z, like, wow, I must really be loved by God. And if I don't do X, Y, and Z, God must hate me. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, some things I can think of off the top of my head are, you know, doing my daily QT, reading my Bible every day, uh, spending time in prayer, uh, which would be one hour a day, according to Pastor Edward. <laughs> <laughs> Methodist power. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, our daily spiritual discipline, even like fasting, could be something that uh, sets people apart uh, in their quote-unquote holiness, um, how loud they praise during worship. Yeah, yeah, so like they should be doing all this. Like we should be reading the Bible. We should be praying. But how do you keep that heart without turning it into a law? That is a very good question. Um, I think we have to rethink uh, how we think about the law. Uh, a lot of times we think about God's laws as obligations, duties, and we think of obedience as um, our our work, our duty. But I think the way the New Testament talks about obeying God's laws is not as law first, then love, but we receive God's love first and our natural response is our obedience to God. And so... Uh, keeping God's laws or, or doing um, acts that seem more righteous uh, shouldn't be this obligation in our mind, but we have to rethink about it. They should be our way of uh, expressing our love to God and, and receiving or enjoying, I mean, rather not receiving, but enjoying His love for us. Amen. Yeah, I, I agree. It's just so hard sometimes because like the things that were meant us to make us deeper into the gospel are the things that sometimes we turn into a law that make us forget the gospel. Like it's like, man, we start reading the Bible every day because we love God. But after a while, our hearts turn into a law and it's just like, God, I'm doing this so that you will love me. And it's like, oh, we get it so mixed up, man. The, I think the heart is really, really, really um, uh, struggles at just accepting grace and responding to grace. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, you brought us to the book of Colossians. Uh, is there something in Colossians that you want us to, to say? I mean, like, you know, you see a similar thing in Colossians. Like, people are turning to all kinds of different things to... Um, mediate between them and God, like, you know, like in Colossians chapter 2, uh, it starts talking about, like in verse 16, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. Uh, these are shadows going to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on and about visions puffed up without reason by sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and knit together. There is joints and ligaments grows with growth as from Christ. And so what we see there, and it keeps on going, but it's the idea, it, 
the theme of Colossians is that Christ is enough. And so, I mean, it's just like today where people are like, mm. yeah, I do a set of symptoms. I'm fasting. Mm. I don't do this. I don't do that. I'm, I must be like, or other people that like, I know the angels or another person. I have visions and, you know, like, and everyone feels like they're spiritually somebody and that God must love them. But what Paul is doing is just cutting straight to that. Like, all that matters is that you hold on to Christ, man. Yeah, yeah. I love actually verse 23 of that passage in chapter 2 of Colossians. Uh, these things have the appearance of wisdom, but mm-hmm. at the end of the verse it says, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It, <laughs> as much as we try to like control our bodies, like mm-hmm. nothing that we do externally will change our heart. That's yeah. the crazy thing. Yeah, it's kind of like just because I fast or just because I had a vision doesn't mean that my sin problem is solved. And the only thing that could help us stop the indulgence of the flesh, the only thing that helps us fight our sins and stop sin is actually eating deeply of Christ, being so satisfied with Christ that we're not hungry for these these terrible, poisonous things. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that was quite the detour, but (laughs) I don't think it was a bad thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I guess uh, let's take it back to our passage. Mm -hmm. Uh, So again, verses 9 through 12, the main idea is that Abraham, his righteousness didn't come through his actions, but it came before his actions. And that's only because God declared him as righteous. Let's move on now into verses 13 through uh, 17. We'll take that as our next section. For the promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For a law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. That's verse 17. Um, This passage reminds me very much of something else Paul says in Ephesians, and uh, that's in Ephesians 2, uh, 8 and 9. how it is by grace through faith that we are saved. By grace through faith. Why is it that God chooses it to do it this way? Uh, yeah, dude, there's a lot of good... Um, I'm sure there's like a million ways to answer that. Uh, two quick ways. One of them, like we said earlier, it seems to actually uh, undo the fall. Like It's like a direct opposite of the fall where Adam and Eve didn't believe God. And here Abraham believes God and belief is actually the mechanism of walking rightly with God. As we saw, Adam and Eve uh, failed to believe in God and walk rightly with God in Genesis 3. And on top of that, too, um, only through belief is it uh, by faith and God wants it to be by faith that it's by grace. And it can't be by grace if it's by works because then you earn it. And so there's all kinds of different ideas. But I think one thing that's kind of funny here is the law brings wrath. And I think yeah. that's a very, let's just keep it very practical. You want it to be by faith because by the law, none of us are good. <laughs> that's so true. Yeah. Like seriously, like who would want to, 
if it was by law, not even Abraham could obtain it. Like <laughs> the, the only one who could obtain it is Jesus Christ. But if it's by law, like all of us are condemned. All of us have sins. All of us have transgressions. There is no way we can work ourselves. Like honestly, like have you had someone in your life that you were kind of afraid of, like you always wanted to please and even for a human being always trying to please them, they would never be pleased all the time. Now imagine trying to do that to a holy, holy, holy God. Imagine the anxiety, knowing you're always failing, knowing you're, you don't want the works, man. You don't want the law. You want the grace. And so it's very encouraging to know it's by grace alone. Wow. I mean, wow. Like God is so good. Yeah. Like imagine how anxious it would be just knowing that God is like grading you every day. That would suck. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that really, really shows how good God is. He didn't have to do it this way, but it's his it's his desire to show this grace to us. Yeah. And so, I mean, as we move into the last section, I think one thing that's interesting is, so we read three sections already. We read one through eight, where we talked about Abraham and David. We read uh, nine through 12, where we talked about circumcision. And 13 through 17, where we just talked about right now, it's by faith, not through works. And if you kind of think about it, it's kind of like the same theme. It's like the same idea, uh, just continually built. It's this one argument of it's always been by grace. It's always been by faith. And that's the one argument that keeps pushing forward. But now in 18 through 25, it's going to continue that argument, but it's going to take a slightly different turn. And so can we have you read that? And we'll just talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, verse 18. In hope, he, uh, Abraham again, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespass and raised for our justification. Yeah, so um, thanks for reading that. Um, there's a very in interesting phrase in the first section that I'm going to read for you. Uh, but it says, for if Abraham was, I mean, verse three, uh, for what the scriptures say, Abraham believed God. And that's the interesting thing, because you might be wondering, like, okay, well, if it's uh, grace through faith, what do I actually have to believe? And the way we normally talk today, and I talk like this too. I think we all Christians talk like this. We just say, believe in God. But Honestly, the idea of belief in God is very, um, it's, it's shaky these days because people believe their own God. They believe all kinds of things. And I think it's very incredible that it, the, the Bible here doesn't say believe in God. It's just Abraham believed God. He actually believed not just in his own thoughts of God, but he just believed God, period. And so what are some of the things he believed God? Well, um, 
for us, for our sake, for the gospel's sake, we see in verse 24, 25, you know, we have to believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, and he was delivered for our sins and raised for our justification. There are things, so that's the mechanic of the gospel we have to believe. And we're going to talk about that more next week in Romans 5, because Romans 5 is like the engine that runs um, all of Romans. But with that, I want to focus here on the other verses, because now we see a small shift. Uh, we are justified by faith and keep saying that. And faith is not just believing in God, but believing God. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, uh, Abraham at the time did not know. Uh, I don't think he knew the name of Jesus, <laughs> you know, because Abraham was born, physically born earlier, even though Jesus spiritually existed longer. So what exactly did he believe? Like, what did he have to believe? And uh, ultimately, and I think this is a good way to make it practical for us today. Ultimately, believing in God means trusting in God's promises more than your own thoughts. Believing God means trusting your own promises more than your own thoughts. Or trusting God's promise. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my bad. I was uh, testing the listeners. Thank you. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So trusting in God's promises more than your own thoughts. Like, you know, like, if you look at a- and look at Abraham's situation, he's old and he's he doesn't really have kids. And, um, well, he had one um, kind of shady one earlier. But, <laughs> but yeah, he everything about him should make him doubt God. But he doesn't doubt God in that situation, in that difficulty. He trusts God more than his own thoughts. And he trusts God's promise more than his own thoughts. And, and that's the core of believing God. And that's what we need to apply today. Mm-hmm. Like, like maybe like as you're listening, you are in a situation where you are anxious and afraid. You don't know uh, what God will do. You don't even want to uh, follow him. But believing God at its core is trusting his promises more than your thoughts. And like Abraham, Abraham had so many reasons to doubt. But verse 20 is the key. No unbelief made him waver. He grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God. Why? Because he was convinced God could do what he promised. And so I want to encourage all the listeners today to believe God, which means trust God's promises more than your own thoughts. That's the center of what true faith is. That's the center of true faith um, in every way. Amen. Amen. Also, uh, just to add on, I think it's also important to encourage the listeners, though. That's the center of true faith. You know, believe God means trusting God's promises more than your own thoughts. But I want to encourage the listeners saying, Abraham was not always that strong. We remember, like we said in the beginning, the dude had some ungodly stuff in his life. He did some really, really bad stuff. And you see in verse 20, it says Abraham grew strong in his faith. So I want you to understand too that it is a fight to trust God's promises more than your thoughts. And you will go strong, grow strong the more you do it, but you must do it. And two encouragements, um, two practical encouragements to grow strong in believing God, number one is to get get to know more about God. Like you, as Abraham spent more and more years with God, it was he was able. It, I wouldn't say it was easier, but he knew he had to trust God more. 
And so the first thing I would encourage the listener to do is get to know more about God because that'll strengthen your faith. Um, once again, another tangent, but then <laughs> I think uh, it was, I believe in John, in the book of John, where uh, Jesus calls uh, fishermen to follow him, his disciples, his first disciples, in John chapter 1. And the disciples drop everything and follow Jesus. Um, I And people look at this and they're like, wow, that's faith. That's faith. And it is faith. It is faith. But I think too often we make almost like the the example of faith, which is immediately I just dropped everything and I followed him. But the truth is I believe that when Jesus calls these disciples, they've actually been following him for about like a year already. And so by that time, they've already had like a year to kind of know who this man is and know that he's something special. They don't know how special yet, but, you know, they know that he's worthy to be followed. And the same way, as we get to know God, it's easier to drop, not easier once again, but we know we should drop everything and follow him. So that's the first thing I would say, strengthen uh, you believing in God is get to know more about God. And the second thing I would say is, this is the second way where um, we grow in our faith and how to strengthen our faith. Try to obey even when it's hard. If you only try to obey when it's easy, you're not going to grow. You're not going to grow. It's when it's hard, that's when you have to try to obey. Like, I don't know about So Pastor Noah, even though he's a scientist, he's quite like, <laughs> muscular and powerful he did <laughs> oh, swimming no. he's like a fish so like he's very muscular and powerful i haven't been to the gym since like uh, the ark of the covenant ages and like <laughs> and but if i went back and if for a whole year all i did was like you know do 10 repetitions of lifting five pound dumbbells i'm not gonna get strong man you have to be tested you have to Try to obey when it's hard. That's how we grow in faith. Abraham was in some hard situations, hard to believe situations, but he did it. Uh, he failed sometimes, but he kept trying. And the more he kept trying, the more he grew. We must try to obey when it's hard. That's the second way I want to encourage people to grow in their faith. So in this last section, we almost see almost like a case study of what believing God looks like and how to grow in believing God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like that second part too. Uh, I think verse 19 kind of drives that home. Uh, he looked at his circumstances and it says he did not weaken in faith when he considered them. Um, I'm sure there were moments where it was very hard for him to trust that promise. I mean, he was real old, <laughs> like real old. Uh, but it's almost like the circumstances that God put him through almost made him it was a, it was impossible by man, but only possible by God. And those were the chances where he really had to put his faith completely in God, not in his own ability, but in God's ability. Yeah, I mean, it's really amazing. Um, it, it makes me think this is just a random thought, but maybe sometimes God puts us in difficult situations, not because he doesn't love us, which is how we normally conclude, like, oh, he forgot about us, but to actually strengthen our faith, to give us an opportunity to step out of the boat and to walk on water. And it's hard because every time um, God calls us to walk on water, there's a small temptation where you start thinking, God, why is there always a storm? Why is there always the unknown? But 
it's actually God is giving us an opportunity to see a miracle. God is giving us an opportunity to grow in faith. And we have to take it if we truly want to grow in believing God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Seems like a very big uh, shift in our attitude that uh, we have to see our circumstances not as uh, pure hardship or meaningless hardship, but they're hardship that have a purpose, a purpose in growing us in God. Yeah, and I just hope, uh, I know this is not going to be until many weeks later, but uh, if you're listening to this right now, I hope this encourages you to hold on to this idea of believing in God and how believing in God leads us to action, not legalism, but to action, because this kind of concept is what we're going to pick up again, especially in Romans 12, when we start talking about how all these great gospel doctrines start changing our lives, how it starts making us obey even when it's hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think this passage wraps it up nicely because it takes us from Abraham and it takes us all the way directly to Jesus. The same way that righteousness was counted to Abraham uh, through believing in God, for us, we believe in Jesus and we receive the same righteousness of God. Um, and verse 25, I think, really ties it well together because uh, it shows us the gospel right there. Jesus delivered up for our trespasses, raised for our justification. If we are believing the promises of God, this is the promise that we believe, that Jesus, his death, paid for all of our sins, and that his resurrection is what justifies us before God. Yeah, and that's probably like the best way to uh, end it because it's going to transition to chapter 5. Uh, like we said before, chapter 5 is arguably like the engine of Romans. Like imagine a car and chapter five is actually powering all of Romans because in chapter five is where you're going to see um, a little bit the, a little bit more the mechanics of the gospel, how it works in our lives and how it drives our salvation and our faith forward. Amen. Amen. Um, all right. Uh, let's wrap it up at this point. <laughs> uh, and let's try to give our listeners maybe one Thing they can hold on to or one uh, way to apply this to their lives, one thing we can challenge ourselves in as we think about Romans 4? Uh, I, I guess, um, once again, I'm going to cheat again. Maybe we could give them two things. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe the first thing from the entire first three sections, maybe we could ask them, like, if there are things in your life you are thinking as a, me- a mediator between you and God, like, if I do this, God must love me. If I don't mm-hmm. do this, God must not love me. Uh, we want to challenge and encourage you guys that Christ is the only mediator. I'm not saying that uh, we are free to do bad things or sins. I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is that ultimately Jesus Christ is the only way we are accepted and loved before God. And we can't add all these laws or ultimately it's going to make us forget the gospel. So I want to encourage everyone to kind of let go of all these other litmus tests and just hold on to Jesus Christ alone. And so the second encouragement is for everyone to believe in God and to grow in believing in God. Once again, that means trusting God's promise more than your thoughts. And if we want to grow in that, you have to get to know God like you really do. Uh, You have to get to know more about him. You have to uh, do the things, maybe read the word, pray, talk about God with um, spiritual people around you and get to know more about God because that's how we grow in, in knowing his trustworthiness. And also on top of that, we get to know more about God and believe more about God when we try to obey, even when it's hard. Uh, 
So I want to encourage people to also grow in believing in God. All right. Amen. Those are two great ways to apply this, two great ways to live this out throughout your week. I hope that this podcast was really encouraging to you guys. Uh, I have to say it is great to be back and getting into the back, uh, getting into the swing of things again. Uh, I'm excited because Romans 5 is going to be a really great chapter. Uh, look forward to that next week. All right. Um, I think with that, uh, I'll just close us in a word of prayer. Dear God, Thank you so much for uh, giving us your word and for the encouragement that we have through it. We look at the example of Abraham. We look at the example of David and how you are the only one who can count them as righteous. And we are so humbled. We are so awed. We are so thankful, God, that it is not our works that count us that we're able to be righteous, but it's only by grace, grace through faith, God. Help us to trust you. Help us to believe in you more. Help us not to look to our works or our actions as the litmus test of how much you love us, but help us to have faith in you and trust your promises more than our own thoughts, God. We love you. We thank you. And we pray all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. God bless. 